We are studying through a uh, topic, a theme. Um, these next, last week and this week and next week, uh, uh, that I've entitled the ABCs of faith, simplifying or understanding the basics and the foundations of what it means to live by faith. Um, last week we looked at the idea of living by faith as as requiring that we understand whose authority we are under, so that we can. Uh, we can obey, we can understand the commands that are given to us by our superior and be obedient to that. To, to, sometimes living by faith requires us to, to think for a little bit of, of well, do I want to do that? Do I, do I like that? Is this something I agree with? Whatever it is. But when it's the commanding officer that gives us that command, we are merely to be obedient to that. So living by faith is understanding God's in control and God's in charge of my life. And so how I live is according to what he says. Now today we're going to look at the B in that, and that is the idea of believe. Um, perhaps like me this week, you watched uh, on the television as from the White House a peace treaty, a, a trade a trade pact, a normalization pact, was signed uh, by the nation of Israel and by two Arab nations, uh, the United Arab Emirates and the nation of Bahrain, uh, along with the President of the United States, signing this treaty that was called the Abraham Accord. Uh, and the reason why it's called the Abraham Accord is because the thing that that, that tied all of these nations together, I'm sure was their desire for peace and their desire for trade opportunities. But that which tied them together was their shared foundation of faith. Both or all three of, of, Jew, of the Jewish people or the uh, Arab, the uh, Islamic people and Christianity all trace their foundations and their roots back to Abraham. Abraham is the, for all three religions, is considered the father of their faith. Now, it's, it just seems to me if we're going to talk about faith, it would make sense to talk about Abraham. Abraham, who is perhaps one of the greatest examples of faith that you and I can have. Now, first of all, I want to give you the definition or re-give you the definition that's my definition. It's not, it's not theologically been run through the mill or anything like that. This is just the conclusion that I have, uh, that I have come up with for the purposes of this study. And that is that faith are actions that I take. I, I believe that faith is a verb. Faith is, is not something I have, it's something I do. Faith is the actions that I take and the decisions that I make in response to what God has said. Now, one thing that I know about God is that God is a promise maker. Throughout the, throughout the, the pages of, of your Bible and mine, there are, there are occasion after occasion, event after event, Teaching after teaching, time after time, 
where God made promises to his people. He promised Israel a nation, a land. He promised that, uh, that they would be provided for and he would protect them and all of these things. Uh, some of those things are unique to, to Israel as a, as a nation, uh, as, a, as a group, as a family. Some of them are, some of the promises of God are for all of us. Some are for believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a promise that, that uh, we have that one day, God has made me a promise that one day I'm going, to, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I don't say that with arrogance. I say that with humility because I know I don't deserve to walk on heaven. But he has... He is worthy and he has declared me, me, to be worthy. And so uh, I know that God has made that promise and I know that God is going to keep that promise. And he didn't just make it to me, but all of God's children. All of God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's not a promise that everybody in the world gets. Sometimes we, even we religious types, get ourselves a little bit away from the scripture and we say just everybody gets to go to heaven in some way. If you're sincere, if you, if you believe in God, whatever you call that God, that's good enough. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that it is only through Jesus Christ who is the only way, the only truth, and the only life to get, can one approach the Father. So faith then is, is the decisions that I make based on the promises God has made to me, has revealed to me through his word. Now let's talk a little bit about Abraham. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with him. We're first introduced to him um, in, in any kind of detail in Genesis chapter 12. And there uh, Abraham is living up in the area uh, of Syria or or Iraq, and that area to the north of the promise of what's called the promised land, what you and I understand. And God tells him that he is to get up from that place where he is, from where his family resides, and to go to a land that he'll show him. And when he gets there, he says, I'll tell you when you get there, and I will give you this land for you and your offspring. That's an, by the way, that's an important word. Remember last week we, I talked about how we have to pay attention to grammar. He didn't say he would give it to his offsprings. He said his offspring. That's singular. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Uh, but he, he's, he makes him this promise, and you know what God does? God takes him to this land, and Abraham sets up a tent, and he dwells there, but he never owns it. As long as he's alive, he never owns it. But Abraham didn't turn loose of that promise. By the way, if you want to read more about this, you can jump over to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about Abraham clinging to that promise, even though it says he even died in his faith, never having realized the promises, but still holding on to them. Because God was faithful to keep his promises to him. So... Um, uh, so Abraham is introduced to us that way. Then, but we find out some things about Abraham. Abraham, for instance, is uh, uh, 
Well, he comes from a pagan land. Okay? He, he's, there's not any indication in Scripture that Abraham knew God before God spoke to him. Maybe he did. Uh, but where did his belief and his knowledge and understanding of God come from? Well, there's, there's a, there is a, a, a Jewish piece of literature that's called the Midrash. The Midrash is a commentary on, um, on the Old Testament, especially the, the, the Torah, the books of the, the Pentateuch. Those first five books where they are trying to explain and answer some questions like the one I just posed. Where did Abraham get his faith in God? It just, did it just happen? Was he walking down the street and God clubbed him over the head and said, poof, you have faith. How did he come to faith? Well, the, the Midrash sought to explain this. Now, I want you to understand there is absolutely nothing biblical about what they say in the Midrash. Okay, just, I just want to make sure... But I want to tell you the story that they tell about Abraham in the Midrash of Abraham finding his faith in God. In the Midrash, it says that Abraham's father was a, uh, was a pagan who worshipped idols. Not only did he worship idols, he made idols and sold idols. He had an idol store. And people would come and they would buy their idols. And young Abram worked for his father in his shop. And he would, he, he would ask his father, which one of these idols is the biggest, strongest, best one? And his father would go through all the different idols and he would say, this one, this particular one is the idol, the greatest, the strongest, the most powerful idol. Well, one day in the Midrash, it says that Abram's father went away, left the business for a few minutes, maybe for an hour or two, maybe for a day. But he left the business and he left it in the hands of young Abram. And while, he was, while his father was out, Abram took a stick and he broke all the idols in the shop with that stick, except for that one that was the greatest. And Abram then took that stick and put it into the hand of that great idol. And when his father came, he said, what happened? And Abraham, Abram said, that great idol beat up all the other idols. And it was a way of him saying, this idol stuff is crazy. This is, a, this is it can't possibly be that an inanimate object that doesn't feel, doesn't move, doesn't taste, doesn't smell, doesn't think, doesn't speak, can ever be more powerful than me. But he says, but I know that there is something that, there, that is more powerful. And that's when he became a believer in God. Now, he didn't understand God, but he, but he knew that there was something, someone greater. Someone had authority over his life. And so Abraham then, here in, in Genesis chapter 12, hears the promise of God to give him this land. This, this, he, he, he's still trying to figure this out probably. This, by the way, is before Moses lived and before the law was given. 
before the prophets explained how God works and how God speaks, and it was before the Gospels that tell us how God walks among us. And th this is at a time when this is all present tense to Abraham. He's experiencing these things. And as he hears these promises, he took God at his word. He believed what he said. And I want to I want to I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis 15. Now keep your Bibles out because we're going to go two or three places, just kind of like we did last time. But Genesis chapter 15, God again comes to Abraham. Abram. And Abram uh, by this time is is uh, in his 80s. And he uh, Abraham Abram is told by God, reminded of the promise that he's going to make of him a great nation. He says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you nations. Nations will come from you. From your offspring, they will be more numerous than the sands on the sea. And Abram says, okay, but God, we got a promise here. I don't have any offspring. I don't have any offspring. If I were to die today, all of my estate would go to my servant, who is a Syrian. He's not even, not even part of our clan. And so I, it's great that you make these promises, but they are, at this point, are certainly nothing more than pie in the sky. Because how can it be since I have no offspring? And God says, I want you to do something. God takes him outside of the tent where they're meeting. This is all in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And God takes him out into the outdoors. And he says, Abram, look to the sky. Do you see the stars in the sky? Count them. See how many there are. And Abram says, I can't count the numbers of stars in the heavens. They're, they're innumerable. And he said, it will be the same for you. Your offspring will be more numerous than the stars in the heaven. Now that's, God told him this 10, 15 years before. About going to the land, he's going to make him a nation. There's no children. There's no offspring. But God tells him again, I'm going to do this for you. And Abram, what does he do? You ever have one of those moments where God tells you something and the circumstances and what God tells you don't line up? That's what Todd was talking about, where we live sometimes. In the midst, there's a difference between what we know and what we feel or see or think. Am I right? And Abraham sees this, this uh, promise again that God made to him. Now remember, Abraham is the father of faith. Okay? Yet he doesn't have a personal understanding of relationship with God. He didn't grow up going to vacation Bible school and gluing macaroni onto a tin plate that would teach him something about God. He didn't have no experience with that. Just what God had spoken to him and what God had promised and Abraham, it says in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15, says one of, or 15. I guess I should have read 15. Let's look at Genesis 15. 
He brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham, <coughs> he believed the Lord. Abraham believed what God said. Now, <coughs> we need to talk a little bit about this, this word, believe. Because there's confusion that's out there that I hear all the time. That I get mixed up into my thinking all the time. That believing is something that says... Something like, well, I don't understand it, but I just have to accept it. That's not believing. If you say so, well, okay. That's not believing. The word believing is an interesting word in the Bible. There aren't a lot of words, Greek or Hebrew words, that translate into the word believe. It's they're almost consistent all the time. The most common Greek word to be translated believe is the Greek word pistuo. Pistuo is a word, is the most common word that's translated into, into the word believe. And its root word is the word pistis. And pistis is a word that speaks of faith, trust, kind of as a, uh, as a noun, if you will. But pistuo is a word that means to believe or to, and this is an important word here, to trust. Because when we understand belief, we have to understand that it's not about what in your mind you can reckon or be willing to go along with. It is something that you trust. Let me give you an example of it. Every twice a month, this church gives me a paycheck. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I take it to the bank. And that's what I got to live on for the next two weeks. And I take it to the bank and I fill out some paperwork and I begrudgingly slide it under the window to them. Because what happens? They could tell me they've entered it into, into the uh, computer. But I have to trust them. You get that word? And I am giving them this, this piece of paper that the church gave me. And I, and I am putting it in trust into their hand to take care of it. Now, they promised me they'll take care of it. They will take care of every penny. They will account for every penny. And they have. But it's a little bit scary every time you entrust something to someone else. Something of value to someone else. But then after I have done so, they type into their machines a little bit. And then they... Hand me back a slip that says, here is the proof. Here is the evidence that you have put this into the bank. And we will take care of it. We, you can trust us with this. That's the idea of the word pistuo. You understand? It's a matter of not just coming to an intellectual consent, 
but it's a matter of a willingness in my heart to entrust a valuable thing, my life, to another, and here's the promise that he gives back to me. The assurance, the, the, uh, the guarantee. The Bible tells us, as Christians, our guarantee is the Holy Spirit. When I give Jesus Christ my life, the Bible tells me that God gives me the Holy Spirit. And he is there with me to confirm that I am God's child. Not, not the baptismal certificate that I got when I was baptized when I was 12 years old. Or the one that I got when I was baptized when I was 25 years old. But the Holy Spirit is my guarantee of my salvation. That's what it, that's the, the root and the basis of the word believe. So let me give you a definition. This is a working definition. It takes these words and just kind of puts them into a flow. And to believe means to, to trust, to obey, to believe the words that are said by the other. And to have absolute, total confidence in them. That's what it means to believe. That's a little more than just saying, okay, I guess I can go along with that. It means I'm willing to slide the check under the window and trust that what has been told to me will take place. All right now, do you get that? Do this if you, if you do, because I can't see if you say yes. Okay. Because we're going to, we, I want to move on then. And I want to see this, uh, this idea of belief fleshed out. We're going to look at one verse, a very familiar verse. And then I, uh, but I want you, as I'm, as I'm sharing this verse, to turn to Romans chapter 4. Perhaps you're familiar with, the, with the, this verse. It's found in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, there's that word believes, pistuo, whoever believes in him, whoever it is that trusts, that obeys, that, that uh, entrusts, that is, has confidence in him, should not perish, but would have eternal life. That's the promise of God. What is that eternal life foundation or based on? Can you see that? The one who believes. The one who believes what God has said. Now, let me tell you what God has said with regard to this. First of all, God has said you are a sinner and separated from me by your sin. You are deserving, because you are a sinner, you are deserving of being separated from me. And if you enter into eternity separated from me, you will spend eternity separated from me. But, one of the most important words in all the Bible, but. But God loved me. And God sent Jesus Christ to live his life perfectly so that he could die in my place. And that if I would trust him and what he did on the cross... As, as an exchange for my sin, he would give me eternal life and I would not perish, but I'd live forever with him. That's the promise that John 3.16 makes. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross 
and on my trusting in that. Now, I'm not saying that my trusting is what saves me. My trusting is that which enacts it, which puts it into action. I'm not trusting in it. I'm not believing in it if I don't do that. That make, that make sense to you? Now I want you to see how Abraham fleshed this out. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Romans 4 says, What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. Have you seen that before today? How about over in Genesis chapter 15, verse, verse 6? He says, but Abraham believed God, trusted God, put his confidence in God and what God said, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Something I should have said about pissed you up. Originally, in the classical Greek, it was, it was used uh, as an accounting term. And it was kind of like what accountants do when they take something, they either list it in as a debit or a credit. And if you list something as a credit, it's counted toward that account. If it's listed as a debit, it's taken away from that account. Am I, generally speaking, that's kind of the way that that works? Okay, most of my stuff are debits. Okay, but uh, that's my problem. But did you notice what it says here? Abraham believed it, believed God, and it was counted to him. It was credited to him as being making him righteous, right with God. It wasn't that Abraham did everything that God said dotted. Dotted every I, crossed every T. In fact, if you read the story of Abraham, you will find that Abraham messes up a few times. Okay, I don't mean to hurl stones at, at the father of our faith, but let's be honest, he wasn't perfect. But he was believing, trusting, having confidence in what God said, and God put it into his uh, column as a credit toward righteousness. He declared him to be righteous, right with God, right with, with others around him. Uh, going on, uh, it, it says, um, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, what he's earned. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Now remember, Abraham lived about four centuries before Moses did. And the law doesn't come into effect until Moses receives the law from God on Mount Sinai. So this is about 500 years or so uh, Abraham is living uh, before the law is even revealed. So in other words, Abraham couldn't keep the law and be righteous. There has to be another way for righteousness to come. And that is through faith 
evidenced by believing in what God said. Do you, do you follow that? Abraham proves to us you don't get made righteous by keeping the law because he was righteous before there was a law. Instead, we are made righteous by the declaration of God that we are right because we believe. We trust. We have confidence in. Now I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I, I thought about spending our whole time today in Romans chapter 4. But I also wanted to jump over to Galatians chapter 3. And so uh, since we're out of time, we're going to be quick here. Galatians 3. Beginning at, uh, I've, got, I've got it up here, 1 through 28. But we're just going to kind of skip around. So be ready back there, Nate, if you will. Uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians who have who are uh, for for the large part a number of them were Gentiles, but there were also some Jews that were living in this area of Galatia, up in uh, Asia, and uh, uh, present day Turkey, and and uh, the uh, Paul goes in and he teaches them that. The, the grace of God that brings salvation to them, they received that, and then along behind them came uh, some that, that were called Judaizers who came and said, now Paul didn't tell you everything. In addition to this grace, you also have to keep the law. So you all have to be circumcised. And you all have to, uh, to uh, honor and, and uh, quit your working on the Sabbath day. And and all and you've got to you got to wash your hands this way and you got to, you can't eat this food you got to do this all these rules that were put on them and so Paul writes back when he finds out all this stuff and he writes back to them and he says to them in verse one O foolish Galatians who bewitched you who tricked you who did that three cup money or whatever they call it you know, got you all confused with all this. It was before your eyes Jesus Christ was publicly pro pro portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? No, you received the Spirit before the law was delivered to you. The same way it was for Abraham. Because we came, we shared with you the grace of God, you received it, the Holy Spirit came, and then these others came and said, now in order to really be a believer, a Christian, you've got to, uh, uh, you, you've got to keep the law. But when did you get the Spirit? That's your proof of salvation. You got it by faith, by hearing uh, the Word of God. Um, it says, are you so foolish? Verse 3, having begun with the, by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer or have you gone? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? But does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works, works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Look at this phrase. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Where did that come from? Did, it, did the Spirit of God give you give you his Holy Spirit because you were a good boy and girl? 
and you learned you learned the third verse to hymns. You know, uh, we always sing the first, second, and last for some reason. But a good, devout Baptist would learn the third verse. I, I grew up a Baptist. I know I've heard this stuff before. And we, do, do you become, does God become pleased with me when I'm doing all the right things and saying all the right things? I think that that, that encourages him when I do that. But he, is, he sees me right now as imperfect as I may be. He sees you right now as imperfect as you may be. And he's pleased with you. He loves you. And he sent Jesus to die for you. But he doesn't say, okay, here's what you got to do. Make sure you start tithing. Tithe is 10%, not on the net, on the gross. Yeah, that, that's not what God does. Because his, his, he doesn't give you the Holy Spirit because you can keep all the rules. He gives you the Holy Spirit because he's made you a promise. And he wants you to be confident in entrusting your life to him. Because he who promised, scripture says, is faithful. Now I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, jump over, Nate, if you will, to uh, the last page. I want to give you my applications. We're out of time. I think we've, we've kind of kicked this dog around enough. Let me give you three, three applications of what, three summaries of what it is that we've talked about today. To believe in God, this, this is number one, to believe in God means to trust and to obey all that he says and to entrust all that you are to him. It's not how much of God you're able to process in your brain. It's not how smart you can become theologically. It's not about how many Greek words you can memorize. And you really got to be spiritual Hebrew words. It's a matter of believing everything God says and trusting your life to it. Let me give you a second thing. To believe means, to, to believe, in order to believe, you have to understand this. If you choose to believe God, he may speak words to you that will be difficult for you to obey. I'm, I'm wanting to be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you if you will come and become a believer, a Christian, a Christ follower, follower life is going to be so easy. Life, the, the path is going to be so level and flat and beautiful and perfect all along and every time you want there to be a McDonald's, there will be a McDonald's there. Because it won't work that way. What God does is when you say, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And as one great theologian said, when God bids a man come, he bids him come die. I think that was Bonhoeffer. You see, God doesn't call you to do what you can do. He calls you to do what you can't do. So that you will be dependent upon him. 
And he will ask you to do things that for the life of you are going to just cause you to struggle. I already mentioned, so I'll just bring it back up, tithing. There is no way on this green earth that you can logically conclude that having 90% of something is, is more than having 100%. No way you can come up with that. If you've got a $100 bill and you take $10 out of it, you've got 90 left and 90 is not the same as 100. But God says, I promise you this. You bring your tithe into the storehouse. Believe me on this. Trust me in this. Entrust that to me and see if I won't give you such a blessing that your barns can't contain it all. Now that's a struggle. To, I, I know when I'm in church that's an easy one to shake my head to. But when I have to make the choice of what I'm going to do, it becomes difficult. That's because God is going to ask us to do what you can. So that he can, what he is able to do is to take that 90% and multiply it. Remember when Jesus took five loaves and two fish and multiplied it and fed 5,000 men, maybe 15,000 people on the side of a hill? How did he do that? Because he's God and he can multiply. God, you just have to understand, believing in Jesus isn't a matter of making life easier. It's going to make it more difficult. But it will result in what God has promised. Third, just like Abraham, believing God is the only way to be declared righteous by God. Not keeping the rules. Not giving a cent. Not giving money to the church. Not giving your tithes, any of that. Not being baptized. Not joining the church. Do I need to go through the, all the lists? Instead, just like Abraham, the way that I am declared righteous is when I trust, have confidence in, entrust my life to Jesus Christ. Then God declares me righteous. And you know, once I'm declared righteous, you know what the Christian life is about? Becoming who I am. I want you to chew on that one for a little bit. I am righteous right now. I'm not perfect, but my Christian life is the matter of, of learning how to live like the person that I am. Do you understand that? But it's, what's important is not how I live. That's not going to make me righteous. But how I live is going to prove my righteousness. This is, what, this is what it means to believe in God. So I hope that you'll be challenged by that. I hope that you'll examine your life and determine whether or not uh, you are really believing in Jesus. And if you're not, that even in just a few moments as we, as we close with the song, that even in just a few moments that you will entrust your life to him. You will confess your need of him and let him take control, have the authority he already has in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you gave us 
examples like Abraham, who struggled with life just like we do, who had to make choices, difficult choices, just like we do, but who demonstrated to us and proved to us and taught to us how it is that we can be declared righteous with you. Father, I thank you for the example of Abraham. And I pray that that example might be one that, that kind of holds on in our heart and our minds throughout this day, throughout this week, so that it will cause us to learn to live our lives and become the person we already are. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. I ask that your blessings might be on us as we as we go. Use this time of, of reflection to help us to make commitments to you because you are worthy of them. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.